You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. Three speeches and I realized I need to be more vulnerable than I was planning to be. Because if, I, if I'm asking them to be vulnerable, I need to be vulnerable myself. Hey, welcome to U-Turns. This is the podcast where we talk about change, where we want to make our U-Turns smooth turns. I'm Lisa Oz. And I'm Jill Herzig. And Lisa, you and I were recently talking about something and and a comment you made really struck me. You said that we have made junk food of our relationships. Well, it's part of my life philosophy, or at least an observation on modern life philosophy, um, where I see that we kind of disassociate all of the meaning from the pleasure. So with food, we take out the sweet and the salty and the fat, and we extract it from its natural source. And with sex, rather than having it in a long-term committed relationship where you dig deep, it's all about the orgasm and the connection with very superficial with like one-night stands and friends with benefits and hooking up. And um, I think we do that everywhere. We extract pleasure or the most superficial level from those aspects of the thing that give it meaning. I think we do that like social media. It's all about likes and and pinging people and a quick text rather than a real connected conversation. So that's what I was talking about. That so, so in the same way that junk food artificially pulls pulls flavors and artificially injects them into things that have actually no nutritional value. Right. We're we, going our relationships are, yeah. have, are devoid of of real nourishing qualities, and yet we feel like we're interacting. We just wonder why we're not satisfied. Yeah. You're always, at the same time, like if you eat junk food, you're always empty and full at the same time. Mm-hmm. Really scary. Mm-hmm. Which is why <laughs> we brought in our next guest, because she talks about putting substance back into our interactions. We're speaking with Priya Parker. She's the author of The Art of Gathering, How We Meet, and Why It Matters, and the founder of Thrive Labs. Priya, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. So Priya, can you talk to us about what it means now to gather 
and how we make those connections in today's environment? I think of gathering as any time three or more people come together for a purpose. Um, and that can be a wedding or a funeral or a potluck or a neighborhood birthday party. Um, and I think that one of the reasons we don't gather as well as we could, or to use your earlier analogy, we kind of junk food gather, is because most of our gatherings have gone on to autopilot. We think that, that there's a specific form that something has to look like. A birthday party looks like candles and a you know cake. Um, a wedding looks like a white dress walking down an aisle. And in part because for decades, for generations, we've been told that if you get the things right of gathering, if you get the fish knives right, if you get the wine right, <laughs> if you get the you know the lighting right, which is which is important, but it's not a precondition for meaningful human connection. And you can see this from the expertise from which we draw. We think gatherings and we ask people who are experts on things. Um, so, you know, Martha Stewart, for example, is sort of the symbol of if you get the recipes right, you know, if you look at her party planning guide on, you know, on her website, and I don't mean to pick on Martha, I'm using her as like an archetype. It's, you know, 27 steps, three of which are about guests, which are logistical questions, you know, get the RSVPs and the invitations out, but then there's three steps about how to get the crudités right. And I think regardless of what the advice is, we've basically been told that if you get the things to a level of perfection, the rest will take care of itself. And I think that's epically bad advice. Mm. So I would say it's really more from Instagram, and Martha's there too, but I mean, Instagram has had such a such a takeover of our imagination of how things should look and how any party or event should feel. Um, I mean, is is social media a part of this junk foodization of our gatherings? Absolutely, and I love that insight. I think that we tend to design things for an audience, and we're designing for the wrong audience. So... There was a piece in the New York Times maybe three or four weeks ago that talked about events that have become literally for the purpose to be Instagrammable. And you go and it's kind of this candy flossy type of, you know, that's a perfect, um, you know, step and turns to like take a photo in front of and the like the chandeliers are gorgeous. And you walk in and, and people are very excited and you leave feeling kind of empty. And you realize that at some deep level, you're kind of being used for this future moment that somebody else will see online that looked perfect. It's marketing. You're, it's it's marketing. You're a marketing engine. And the second thing is, I think part of what I'm so curious about, and I love what you all explore, is what are our sources of meaning? And meaning is really hard to capture visually, unless you're an artist, unless that's your medium. Right. And so p- partly these visual images of our, of our gatherings, the dinner table or the presentation, um, they're proxies for meeting, meaning. Mm-hmm. But in the room, they are um, very, very, very indirect forms of meaning. We create meaning through conversation. And it's very hard to capture conversation on Instagram. And so we tend to put it to the side, and we think that our meaning will be created only through visual beauty. It's also very disruptive, I think, living with someone who's a public figure and needs to have Instagrammable moments. It's incredibly disrupting when you're having a moment and it's interrupted by the need to take a picture and document that. And that's like actually a big source of conflict for me and my husband because he's always saying, oh, we need to get a picture of this. I was like, no, we don't. It's your granddaughter's birthday. That is not a public event. Beautiful. Um, just need so, to be here for this. Right. And, and I, I think it takes us out of our the intimacy of a moment to it, be thinking of documenting it. It does. And 
And I'll say, and I love the example of your husband because he's a more extreme version of all of us, right? And sometimes it's easier to see these things in the extreme. And what I mean by that is, well, every gathering, I believe, is a social contract, right? You're you're basically saying, I want to do this. Are you in? I want to have a birthday party. Do you want to come? I want to have a conference. Do you, are you, you know, is, are you for this? And part of what's happened with social media is we've developed unconsciously two social contracts. Our contract with our present people in your, you know, in the room with your goddaughter's birthday or whatever it is. And this kind of invisible social contract with our quote-unquote audience or our quote-unquote followers, whether you're a public figure or not. Yeah, everybody has an audience. Uh, everybody has an audience. And, um, and they're competing, but right now, we're not conscious of them competing. And so we are, our conflicts, your conflict with your husband, are proxy wars for basically this deeper question, which is, who is this audience? What is the purpose of this gathering? And who is this for first? And if there is another audience, are they fulfilling your first purpose or are they distracting from it? But we rarely have those conversations explicitly. Mm-hmm. You know, just kind of connecting this to U-turns a little bit, um, often these gatherings, weddings, funerals, birthdays, these are significant moments where we're trying to move from one phase in our mm-hmm. life to another. And I'm, I'm wondering if what you've identified as a problem is something that's really hindering us from doing that. Do you think it's that big a problem? Deeply. And I think part of our gatherings is that because we think something has to look in a certain way or take a certain form, we've, we've lost the meaning in them. And I'll give an example. I recently um, got a story from somebody who had read The Art of Gathering, and um, she's a self-described soccer mom. Um, she lived in Chicago, and she and her family moved to the suburbs. So a transition, right? She's picked up the house for a lot of different reasons. They've moved to another type of neighborhood, another you know context. And they went from a neighborhood that had a lot of chili cook-offs, and people were gathering all the time, and she came in and kind of no, no one— welcomed her in an obvious way, right? There wasn't a gathering to welcome her. Yeah, she, people don't show up with banana bread. No, not anymore, not anymore. <laughs> like no, like sad. casserole, exactly. And she had, you know, read the book. I don't mean to be promoting, but like she thought, okay, here's an opportunity where I would like to create a meaningful ritual where I get to meet my neighbors. How do I do this in a way that's meaningful? Not just like, hey guys, let's come together and have cocktails and kind of say hi and, you know, and kind of have a form. What would a meaningful, you know, simple gathering look like? So she had her kids. She went out to Kinko's. She said to her husband, this is worth the $25 for the invitation because the invitation primes. And this is our first opportunity to really get to know our neighbors. She had her two kids go on scooters around the neighborhood and hang coffee cups on 10 neighbors that she'd met to get their emails. And on the coffee cup, she left an invitation that said something like, your email and then three facts about you and how many years have you lived on this block. They brought them back and she sent an email out because she had their emails and primed them with a like a gift from Cheers and said, we'd love to have you over at Jackson Avenue. And then the neighbors came and she had two sets of name tags. One that was the name, the other was uh, three things that were true about them, but put on someone else. So hmm. these neighbors had to come in and then find like, oh, that's me, right? You're, you're wearing my name tag. And they had never necessarily met. They must have thought... Some fun lady has yeah, moved exactly, into the neighborhood. Exactly. We've never had one like this before. She changed the norms. Yeah. And then she brought a, bur- a cake out, and on the cake it said 215. People were like, what was that? And she said, it's the number of years we collectively have all lived on this block. Hmm. And, like, that is meaningful. She yeah. made it up. She's sure Her purpose is to get to know her neighbors, but also to change the norms of gathering. And she was able to do it in a way that was um, not junk food, but still simple. 
Hmm. And I'm sure they all got to know each other a lot better, too, trying to figure out which who had the sticker that was, yeah. Yeah, and, I, and when she had the cake, she said, we're so happy to be in our forever home. Mm. And afterwards, one of the neighbors said, well, we'll host a progressive. Let's, let's do this. So gatherings are powerful in part because when you gather in a way that's authentic, it's contagious. When we come back, we're going to dig deeper into that, how to create meaningful groups. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late. Very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbionica is your solution to great-tasting, all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or toxins. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbionica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbionica.com. C-Y-M-B-I-O. TIKA.com. We've been talking about gathering, and we are with Priya Parker. She is the author of The Art of Gathering. You are also the CEO and founder of Thrive Labs. So I want to talk about that a little bit. You consult with large corporations. The World Economic Forum, so impressed. Um, these groups that have challenges getting together. Can you tell us a little bit about that? My background is in group conflict resolution. So my craft and, and kind of my, my day job is as a group facilitator. Um, I'm biracial. I, I was born in Zimbabwe. I have an Indian mother and a white American father. Um, and they both remarried after some time. And I grew up with them having joint custody. So back and forth between these two extreme homes. Uh, Indian, kind of vegetarian, Buddhist, atheist, incense-dwelling, infused, liberal, Democrat. You kind of get the point home. And then this white American, evangelical Christian, conservative, Republican, you know, meat-eating, church-going home. And every two weeks I go back and forth. And my husband often jokes, it's no wonder I ended up in the field of conflict resolution. And I work now with with companies, with political groups, with organizations that at some level are going through a transition and trying to figure out who they want to be, who they want to be individually and collectively. And to me, so much of conflict, and I use that not as a bad word, comes down to a disagreement over identity or identities. And so I work with groups that... Um, that are trying to have meaningful, complicated conversations together and need somebody to help create that container and space and figure out how do you actually have meaningful conversation when there's some heat in the room. Mm -hmm. Is there some general tips, for lack of a better word, that you can give us (laughs) Mm -hmm. that we can use? Because we've all been in rooms 
That felt pretty hot. Mm -hmm. I think the first is know your purpose. So heat for heat's sake is not necessarily a good. It actually can be very dangerous. Um, But know the specific purpose as to why you're gathering people. And don't assume you know what it is. So, for example, often I'll be approached by a group of people who are saying, um, a company that says, we have this team off-site, and um, we really want to talk about our vision for the next year. And I start poking around, and, and as you say, what is meeting in person worth coming together for? That You can't do on email. You can't do on a conference call. So part of this is making more sacred our time together. Um, and then to make sure that the whatever that question is, it, particularly if you're going to be talking about um, some elements of heat, that you're priming people for it. So one of my favorite um, characters that I met when I interviewed over 100 gatherers to figure out, like, how do they create um, transformative experiences is a woman named Ida Benedito. And she's an underground experience designer who helps groups deal with risk and taking risks. And I asked her, what can we all learn from you? And she said, every time I create an experience for people that's going to be uncomfortable, I ask four questions. One, what is this group avoiding? Two, what is the gift in facing it? Three, what is the risk in facing it? And four, is the gift worth the risk? Hmm. I can see that that's super effective for a group that is electively together. You can create a common goal. But what I'm thinking is your parents divorced, mm-hmm. so they chose not to be a group. What do you do where, when the differences are such that, let's just take, for example, the United States Congress, <laughs> where they have, have such disparate goals that it, given, given their druthers, they probably would separate and not work together. What, what do you do where you have a a forced collective where the goal isn't the same and yet they still have to work together. How much time do you have? <laughs> <laughs> well, just so, well, and if anyone who's in Congress is listening, <laughs> you exactly. can help them. So I think Congress and, and frankly, most public or kind of private, meaning corporate gatherings, this is true, which you have to look at the underlying systems that these people are a part of and representing And we've created a political system where the majority of what happens in the room has broadly been decided before anyone enters the room, right? They're funded by a certain group. They have made promises to certain um, political donors. They need a strong NRA score. They, whatever it is, but to use a metaphor, we're worshiping other gods. Yeah, Mm -hmm. they're beholden to all kinds of other people. Mm -hmm. And so partly in a gathering, I think some of the best gatherings that are created for congressmen and women are the ones that are off the record, behind closed doors, without an audience, that are um, that are relationship building. So, you know, when you think about um, Jimmy Carter and the Middle East peace process, one of the moments that um, created a breakthrough between kind of all of the sides was when they pulled out their pictures of their grandchildren, hmm. right? They saw each other as humans. They saw each of themselves as grandfathers who had grandchildren of whom they all cared about. And it was a disarming moment in which they could actually begin to at least pause some of their other beholden interests and remember we have a sense of common purpose. And often one of the reasons I think gatherings tend to get stuck, and this is very true in Congress, is that they go on autopilot and we go into scripts. 
So you already have a sense of what, you know, Nancy Pelosi is going to say. You already have a sense of what, you know, Chuck Schumer is going to say. I'm using the, you know, Democratic leadership. And I think part of the um, opportunity in Congress is anytime anybody has an opportunity to throw people off their scripts and get even a moment where they come back to the reason they entered politics and connect to that. I think you saw a little bit of that in the Kavanaugh hearings with Jeff Flake in the elevator. He was thrown off his script for a second. Um, And so I think it's very hard in embedded systems to do that. And I think that that's the opportunity. Do we script ourselves all the time, all of us? I think we respond to the cultural context that we are in. And scripts aren't necessarily a bad thing if you're if you're reading the script you want to be reading. And what I mean by script is basically a set of, uh, a, in a way, first a character and a set of language or vocabulary um, that we are following because we think we are trying to achieve a certain purpose. So, for example, at a board meeting, um, to structure a board meeting in a way where you have ma- mahogany tables and, um, you know, everybody sitting around the table in a very specific way wearing specific jackets and specific roles, um, there's a sense of what a board meeting should feel like or look like. But often those board meetings get very stuck because people are playing the same roles over and over again and perpetuating a hierarchy that is more about the relationships in the room than the problem at hand. And so often as a facilitator, one of the things that kind of my profession does is come in and figure out how can you knock people off their scripts for a purpose. And so if, for example, what that boardroom needs is intimacy or silliness, and again, you can have strategic silliness. Silliness leads to a lot of breakthroughs. The first you know, tip that to, to give to your listeners is deeply and courageously choose the location um, of your gathering. And uh, one of the people I interviewed, Patrick Frick, who's a great facilitator, he said the room does 80% of the job. Jerry Seinfeld has said the same thing in an interview mm. um, where he says, you know, I'll be, my vaudeville houses are my favorite places to perform around the country. And some, this is a quote from a radio show he did, some rich guy sees you in the theater, brings him you to his birthday party, and you go down the toilet, and everybody thinks, Jerry Seinfeld's awful in real person. And it's because the room is doing 80% of the job. And so part of this is if you're having a board meeting and you have a very specific goal, don't take the default setup of the board meeting or the board location. And often we choose these very important decisions based on logistics. We outsource it to whatever is either easiest or whoever's in charge of logistics. And and the first thing I would say is make sure that your context works for the goals that you have. So let's take it out of the corporate context for a second here. On a personal level, mm-hmm. what would be a brave choice for a setting for a more personal, I don't know, rite of passage or or gathering, you know, for the purpose of a mean, really meaningful connection. Yeah. So take a birthday party. I'm mm-hmm. making this up. One of the things about birthday parties is I think we often forget to ask, like, rather than saying, what do I want my birthday party to look like, to ask the reverse question, which is, what is a need in my life right now that a group of specific people by gathering might help me fulfill? And Say, for example, you know, in my 20s and my 30s, I used to always interrupt my patterns. I'd do these adventures. I'd go to hikes on the weekend or I'd go to underground, whatever, clubs, and I never do that anymore. And what if this year I really want to get my sense of adventure back? Okay, so what could that look like in my city? What if my quote-unquote birthday party was a 5 a.m. trip to the fishing docks and watching the fishermen pull their nets in? And I invited four people from my life who, to me, represent adventure even as they um, take on the trappings of less adventurous lives. You know, that is an interesting birthday party. And, you know, I know Amikai was on your show recently. I think he's genius at this, which is not being seduced or uh, entrapped by the forms that we think something has to take to start with the need. Hold on to that thought, because when we come back, we're going to take the ideas that you've put forth for a 
corporate or group gathering and apply it to our personal shifts. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com had enough of those supplements that leave you feeling nothing? Symbiotica is your solution to great-tasting all-natural supplements that actually work. Crafted with premium plant-based ingredients, their products have no seed oils, fillers, or artificial nonsense. It's just pure goodness in every pouch. Try them out and actually feel the difference today. Visit Symbiotica.com and use code IHEART for 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Again, that's 15% off plus free shipping on your subscription order. Go to Symbiotica.com. That's dot we are back and we are speaking with Priya Parker, author of The Art of Gathering, How We Meet and Why It Matters. Listening to you talk about productive, effective gathering sounds a lot like expanded conflict resolution. And I'm thinking, you say gatherings anytime there's more than two or three people together, right? A family is mm-hmm. a gathering. The rules or the techniques that you use in um, corporate settings, mm-hmm. like if you had been hired by your parents, could <laughs> could you take those big ideas and help with the conflicts inherent in a family gathering? Absolutely. And I will say families are their own unique systems <laughs> that are much more complicated, I think, than than corporate systems. Um, I'll give a couple of examples that I love. So one is I interviewed George Dawes Green, who founded The Moth. Um, are you familiar with The Moth? Of course. Yeah. And um, he had a family reunion. So moths are these you know, storytelling nights. Um, and he had a family reunion a few years ago. Um, and uh, I don't know, 80 people or so from his extended family were all coming together. And I think it was his sister who said to him, you know, rather than doing just like yard games, what if we do one evening where it's, we have this meaningful coming together? Um, and what if we make it a moth night? What if we make it a storytelling moth night? And they called it, it's not easy being green, because it's green is his <laughs> last name. They rented out a local hall, and um, anybody had five minutes, I don't remember the exact timeage, but five minutes or so, um, to tell a story in their life about what it, to them it means to be a green. And as he told it, he said, you know, I have a nephew that I've like barely spent any time with who's a teenager, you know, on the West Coast. And he tells a story about, you know, being in the locker room with some guys and, you know, something and the other. And I smiled to myself and and I realized, yeah, that is what it means to be a green. Um, and or I, you know, my great uncle talks about a specific story. And I think that is not what it means to be a green. Right. It's this it, it's not so directly on the nose, but it's this beautiful way to begin to invite people to have some structure and tell a story that creates meaning about who are we? 
Who is us? And particularly in an intergenerational context, who were we and what do we want to let go of? Hmm. Well, that's an interesting one. I mean, I, I read your question a little bit to be about what do we do when family rooms have a lot of heat in them. Mm-hmm. So it would certainly have helped if we'd established that, um, <laughs> that lineage and that long line of storytelling. And, but what do you do when you have established none of that? Do you have advice for a family system like that? I mean, you and I are both children of divorce. Mm-hmm. We can't fix that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we we may choose um, we may choose conflict resolution as a mm-hmm. way to sort of address yeah. the pain of it. Totally. Just you know, shooting from the hip here. But um, but is is there advice for that kind of family conflict? Um, I mean, I am choosing my work to work out my pain. And I think that most of, many of us do. I think it's one of the reasons I care so deeply about this is because I come from a place where it didn't work and um, and still doesn't in a lot of ways. And I think for me, I think it's very difficult in a moment, in a family context, to change the dynamic because we are so stuck, not only stuck in our roles, but everybody else has investment in our, us playing those roles. And in my experience, um, the heat in the family context, it's, it's always easier the next time around to to think about what do I want this to look like rather than let me shift this in the moment. Um, so a couple of tips for in the moment. The first is to try to get people to share stories and experiences rather than opinions. So this is particularly true if you're a Thanksgiving trainer to talk about politics. Going down and debating politics and you know with with people who have different points of view in a family context with alcohol is rarely going to get you to a good <laughs> a good result. However, if you can, you know, get your, you know, Aunt Jude to talk about a moment in the last 40 years where she felt invisible and why I'm making this up and why she found hope in such and such candidate, but to tell the story, right, that's interesting. And so I think part of what I've seen in family contexts is when we can help um, change the way we talk and often through stories and change the questions we ask, um, it can be become more interesting. I'll give it another example. So I also think it's easier to plan ahead of time. So my husband and I, I'm half Indian. He's, um, his parents are Indian, uh, Indian, and he's an Indian-American born here. We were going back to India to visit our extended family. We wanted to bring together those two families. They'd only met once at our wedding. And we thought, how can we do this in a meaningful way? Where otherwise, at least in our context, the cousins all talk to the cousins, the grandparents all talk to them, everyone eats, drinks, goes home. And we decided that we would do a 15 toasts, which is a format I talk about in the book and I invented with a friend of mine, where we chose a theme and we told them ahead of time. Again, I'm a big fan of like letting people know that this is happening and having them have some choice in it. And I think the question we asked was, um, what's a moment in your life that changed your worldview? And um, we were all like 20 people around a table, my grandmother, his grandparents, all, and multiple generations down, cousins. And they were partly behaving for each other, right? It's sometimes easier to have a context when you're bringing together two different sides, even if they're in-laws versus mm-hmm. a nuclear family. And we asked them, we said, at some point tonight, can you um, ding your glass and share a story and a moment in your life that no one at this table has heard of before? And that was the, the clincher. And um, and the last person has to sing their toast. <laughs> and it was beautiful. I mean, my husband's like, you know, 90-year-old grandfather was talking about when he was like a sprightly young leader in a film business um, and told this kind of Harvard Business School case study 
worthy example of when he figured out, you know, why the film reels he was sending on the train down to Bombay were, weren't getting to the theaters. And all of a sudden, you saw this 92-year-old man as this like, young, bright, ambitious man. And that's powerful, particularly in a family context, because par- I think gatherings are transformative when we can remember and when we are allowed to be many things. So what did that do for you, having that gathering be successful? It allowed me to show my family that there are many ways to gather, and we don't have to do the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. Um, it also let me see many of my aunts and uncles in new lights, right? And so, and not, um, not as playing the role of whether it's like always the one to cook, or always the one to um, oppose the idea at the table, or always the one to like leave early, always the one to fall asleep. You know, Stephanie Kuntz, the sociologist, talks a lot about what allows for marriages to last over time. And one of the phrases he uses is to look at each other with fresh eyes. And I think it allowed us to look at each other with fresh eyes for an evening. To get people to share at that level, um, either in a family or in a corporate uh, environment, there has to be a level of trust, right? And you have to assume that when you share, you're not going to be judged. How do you um, personally encourage people not to be judgmental in a group? And how do you do that individually? Mm-hmm. I think it starts with the host and people in the room who have some amount of influence. And and, and every system, someone has some amount of influence, whether it's because they've been there around the longest or because they're the newest, because they're the oldest, because they're the youngest. It doesn't matter the context. You have to get that buy-in from from a leader type. Yeah, or at least from other people. Like in conflict resolution, one of the things we do is we map what's called social capital. Like who in a community, before you go in, if they are on board, they will have their constituents who say, hmm, maybe we could do this. Or, hmm, well, if Jared's doing it, maybe maybe there's a there there. Um, but the first thing as a host is to be vulnerable yourself. Mm. And so you mentioned the World Economic Forum earlier. I was, um, at, I, I'm a member of their values council. And I, um, with a colleague, wanted to host a dinner the night before that showed people a different way of being together. Because I think at these meetings, we tend to perform rather than to kind of be and connect meaningfully. We kind of give our our stump speeches rather than our sprout speeches. We, you know, we're trying to sell, even if it's just selling ourselves. And... Um, we hosted a 15-toast dinner. It was the first is the invention of the dinner, and we chose a theme, a good life. What is a good life to you? And we invited 15 members from different councils to come together in a closed room, like a closed-door dinner context, and ask them at some point in the night to give a toast to that. And I kind of thought what I was going to say, and, I, and three speeches, and I realized I need to be more vulnerable than I was planning to be. Because if, I, if I'm asking them to be vulnerable, I need to be vulnerable myself. And the story that came to mind was literally my mother throwing me a period party. Oh, my God. And <laughs> oh, I, thought, I love that this happened at the World <laughs> And I thought, okay, here I am, like, younger than most people in the room, browner than most people in the room, you know, like, a woman of, of color— like, I don't want to play to type. I want to talk about having gone to MIT, or I want to talk about, you know, I want to talk about the, the quote-unquote masculine parts of me. And I thought, Priya, if I'm asking people to be vulnerable and I'm asking them to trust each other, I need to put some skin in the game. And so I shared my period party with them, <laughs> you know, and half the room was men. And I was shaking, you know, and I was small. And, and I, you were telling them that this party was meaningful for you? And that it was part of a good life. Of I good told life. the example that, like, I think meaningful rituals, my mother hosted me this period party. I explained what it was. I explained that in that moment, because I came home, I'll tell it now, I came home, I, I got my period at a friend's house at a sleepover, and I wasn't sure what 
meaning to make of it. I wasn't sure if it was awful or not. I came home. My mother found out, picked me up in the air, swung me around, and like hooted and hollered joyously through the house. And then she threw me this period party where she invited other women friends and um, like played Paul Simon and, you know, like it was made up. Um, but Just in to that, invite you into the sorority. Invite of, me into the sorority. Ups, we're and, all grown up women. But more importantly, to have a memory when I did face a lot of contexts where either a period was quote-unquote not you know, gross or that it was, you know, problematic to be a woman in society. I had this meaningful ritual and this memory that will always remind me of the value and the power of being a woman. Great job, Mom. Yeah, she's pretty great. Good mom. Priya, thank you so much for teaching us how to gather. Thank Thank you you for for having me. So useful. Thank you. If you want to connect with Priya Parker, she's at Priya Parker on Twitter and Instagram. And you can connect with us. Tell us your period party stories (laughs) at U-Turns Podcast. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. I'm late. I'm late for a very important date. Time is running out to score adult theme park tickets at child prices from Undercover Tourist. This summer, make your Walt Disney World vacation more affordable than ever. Escape into a place where magic has the power to transport you into stunning worlds and your favorite stories for less. Buy from Undercover Tourist, an authorized seller, and link to official Walt Disney World apps so you can add on Genie Plus and Lightning Lane upgrades easy. Book your adult theme park tickets at child prices with Undercover Tourist now and save. UndercoverTourist.com You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.